In modern times, one of the most difficult issues leaders are faced with is helping those who struggle with mental health. No longer can we simply encourage a good measure of scripture study and prayer and expect everyone's life to stabilize. This is why Leading Saints felt it was so important to organize the Mentally Healthy Saints Library. There, one can find 25-plus presentations all about ministering to those who struggle with mental health. We cover topics like depression, anxiety, scrupulosity, or OCD. We even cover how to effectively refer individuals to professional therapists and make sure they are getting the help they need. This and so much more. If you'd like to review all of these sessions, we would love to have you do so at no cost. You can visit leadingsaints.org 14 and get access to the full library for 14 days. You'll also receive access to all our virtual libraries where we cover additional leadership-related topics. So click the link in the show notes or simply visit leadingsaints.org 14. Before we jump into the content of this episode, I kind of feel it's important that I introduce myself. Now, many of you have been around a long time. You're well familiar with my voice and with Leading Saints as an organization. But if you're not, well, my name is Kurt Frankham, and I am the executive director of Leading Saints and the podcast host. Now, Leading Saints is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. And we do that through, well, content creation like this podcast and many other resources at leadingsaints.org. And uh, we don't act like we have all the answers or know exactly what a leader should do or not do, but we like to explore the concepts of leadership, the science of leadership, what people are researching about leadership, and see how we can apply them to a Latter-day Saint world. So here we go. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Leading Saints podcast. Uh, In this episode, I talk with Noelle McBride. She's the author of Beauty for Ashes, Divorce, and the Latter-day Saint Woman, and just a really insightful conversation about divorce and leaders' role in divorce. Uh, We're actually going to add this, the video interview. I'm going to add it to our Single Saints library. But Noelle talks about her own story of going through a divorce and uh, just the dynamics that happened that in an award and what the leader's role in that. And just listen to various concepts of things leaders can say, right? That's always the the heavy part of these situations is, I want to say the right thing as a leader. I don't know what to say. But she gives some ideas and perspective that maybe help there and so much more. So I think you'll enjoy this. Definitely worth re-listening to in the future if you come across, you know, a situation where you're more involved in ministering to somebody going through a divorce and whatnot. So check it out. Here's my interview with Noelle McBride, the author of Beauty for Ashes, Divorce and the Latter-day Saint Woman. Noelle McBride, welcome to the Leading Saints podcast. Thank you. Nice now to be you, here. Yeah, you are the author of Beauty for Ashes, Divorce, and the Latter-day Saint Woman. So where did the beginning of all this happen where you thought, I'm going to write a book? <laughs> it actually happened in a closet, believe it or not. <laughs> I was going through my divorce. Oh, nice. And, yeah, and I was really having a difficult time. And I would often go into my closet to cry And so my kids wouldn't hear me. And I was talking to a girlfriend on the phone and she Mm. said to me, Noelle, I promise you that someday your story is going to inspire other people. And in that moment, I can only describe it as just like a a flash of an image in my mind. I could see a book in my head and I immediately thought, I can't possibly write a book. I'm 
I'm a mess right now. I can't even, you know, I was really struggling at that point. And so, but I kind of held on to that idea. And then as I experienced more hope and healing through the atonement of Jesus Christ and more time passed, I had other experiences and then that allowed me to kind of build on that. And it took me about five years to kind of collect my notes and from my journal and figure out the direction that I wanted to go and, and then eventually write it. Ah, that's great. And obviously we're going to talk about your story throughout our interview today and our discussion, especially as we touch on different principles that hopefully will help leaders as they are prepared to minister to those who are, are going through a divorce and, you know, moving past a divorce and whatnot, but maybe just put everything, your story into context, as far as your own personal journey, your divorce and, and all that. And then we'll continue to, to, to elaborate on it. Sure. So uh, I grew up in an LDS home and I met my former husband in the, um, the single adult ward and I got married at the age of 20. I got married in the Portland temple. So a very normal courtship and LDS story. And we were married for 17 years. And my intention was to be married for time and all eternity. No one gets married to get divorced. But um, through a series of different circumstances, we ended up kind of going in different directions and then ended up getting divorced. And that was difficult and hard. And then I had to work through the process of um, still being in the same ward for a short time, being in the same stake. He immediately remarried. And then we had children, you know, that we were trying to work through all the details with and a lot of adjustments, you know, especially when you have gone from being in a single household and then being in two households, and then you add in other people into that scenario. So that was a process for sure. And I had really good support system, great ministering sisters, ministering brothers, good Relief Society president and bishop and friends that helped me and family, you know, work through that and a great counselor, um, a lot of counseling to work through that process. But eventually I got to a place where I was healed and happy and thriving being single. And that is actually when I ended up meeting my current husband that I'm married to. He's a widower and we had a long courtship and um, married in the Columbia River Temple. And now we're blending our two households together. We have six children between the two of us. And so that's, that's a whole nother adventure. Yeah. So my wife and I, we just celebrated 16 years of marriage. And so this sort of, you know, hearing you that this, the end, the marriage ended at 17 years sort of puts that into perspective for me. Was this like, just because a lot of people see that, like, man, you made it 17 years. Why not another 17 years? Right. Like, yeah. and, and you talk about this, you went in different directions. Was it more and, you know, I don't know how much of, of the details you want to share, or, you know, his story, his story, whatnot. But was there like a moment where you realized, well, suddenly we're in different directions? Or did you find out that actually the whole 17 years we were in going in different directions? We just didn't know it. Yeah, I think that there was probably a little bit of both of that. There were, mm -hmm. there were things that I definitely could point to that were contributing factors. And despite counseling and working with a bishop and the state president, those things were not able to be resolved in a way that we could move forward. And so, yeah, and his story is his story. And so, and he's, you know, the father of my children. And so I'm really careful sure. to respect that always. So, yeah, it, I mean, there was definitely moments that I am able to look back now and go, oh, I can see how he and I were making different choices at different, you know, junctures, and which then led to, you know, much wider choices. So I would say it's a combination of both to answer your question. It's a little bit of hindsight. It's 20 yeah. 
Sure. And then going forward. Yeah. So. So this concept of healing that like maybe unpack that concept a little bit more because I think everybody wants to, it's almost like when I talk with recovering addicts, right? There's sobriety and then there's recovery. And so maybe in this context, there's like, there's healing and then there's like, I'm just surviving, but I don't cry every day. So I guess that's, I'm good. Like, I don't know, like unpack the concept of healing and were there times where you thought that you were healed, but then discovered with some more work that you were not healed? Right. So healing is a process and you've already kind of mentioned there was a season for me that I was crying every day, you know, and I just couldn't believe that this was my life. That was a really difficult season for me. And then eventually I grew to be able to accept my circumstances and I didn't like my circumstances, but I accepted them for what they were. And then that grew into seeing the joy and the peace and the happiness and not feeling like I'm missing something from my life. And so that's how I felt overall. And then you asked the question, you know, were there times that I felt like, oh, I haven't healed as much? I would say that there were things that would come up like forgiveness or boundaries where I became aware of another layer that I needed to go through to be able to process and work through and get better at that principle, whether that was, you know, just the principle of forgiveness or setting healthier boundaries or things like that. So there were times I never felt like I wasn't healed, but I definitely became aware of, oh, this maybe is an area that needs a little bit more work. And so Mm. that was kind of my process as I went through it. So I think that the reason I use the word healed is I felt peace and joy and contentment in my life. And I felt close to my savior. And I didn't feel like I was missing something in my life because I wasn't married anymore. Yeah. And and I'm sure that like, that's just a natural transition. You are going to feel like you're missing something just because everything's probably feels different. Yeah. And especially when you get married young, right? Like I went from, I was, I had only been out of the house for a short period of time before I got married. And so, yeah, there were definitely, I spent the majority of my adult life being married. So yeah, it was a big, it was a big thing when I realized, oh, I can actually have joy. I can actually have happiness. My life is fulfilled and it, that doesn't have to happen just through this, only this pathway. Yeah, that's really helpful. And then obviously with these types of things, almost like when there's a there's a death, and this is maybe in the context of there's a death of a marriage, right? That yeah. there's sort of this mourning process or the, these different phases you go through. And I'm sure many, you know, especially leaders or loved ones, they see you having a hard day and they just want to get you past it. Like, oh, you know, Maybe he was a jerk anyways. You know, they say these things like, yeah. you should be happy he's out of your life or, you know, right. like, because we want to move you past the hurt. Yeah. But is there like, do you need to be in that stage for just a while, like for that healing to effectively take hold? Yes, yes. And actually, this is a really important principle. I talk about this in my book that when you marry someone, your hearts are knit together. And this is especially true in an eternal marriage. Mm-hmm that your hearts become knit together. And then when you go through a divorce, it's like that is ripped apart and that knitting then causes internal bleeding. And only through the Savior Jesus Christ can that be healed. And a lot of times when we go through divorce, we look throughout for outside sources to try and heal. And those things might be like band-aids for a short period of time, but they won't be able to have that secure healing, that long-term healing, unless it is through the atonement. So it definitely is a process. And I love this past week, we've been talking about Job in the Old Testament. And one of the things that his friends do is they come Mm -hmm. and they sit with him, right? 
And I had many friends that did that, that just came and sat with me. I did have some friends who definitely tried to, you know, like your life is definitely better. And, and those things are helpful to a degree, but you do have to kind of sit with it and feel the grief and the sorrow and the loss that comes from that. And then once you work through that, then you can move on to that next stage. But I did some kind of unique things. I served a mission in between, (laughs) which does not make sense. Yeah. But I talk about this in my book. This was a recommendation from my counselor. I had very well-meaning friends who, as soon as my divorce was final, they're like, great, we are going to set you up on all these blind dates. You're going to have so much fun. And the thought (laughs) trying to date, I was just sick to my stomach. And I thought, no, I cannot do this. So I remember going into my counselor and I was just really emotional. And I said, I don't, I don't know how to explain to them. I'm not ready to do this. I don't know that I'm ever going to get married again. I need to figure out what was my part in this. I need to take responsibility for my part and I need to heal. And I need to make sure that my kids are stable. So the thought of trying to jump back into a relationship was you know, the furthest thing from my mind. And my counselor said, well, why don't you serve a mission? And I was like, you do know that I have three children and I'm working. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't understand, <laughs> you know, like how, how would this even work? And he's, he was very great. And he said, well, no, you, you would just be like one of the sister missionaries. You know, you have a regular time that you get up in the morning and you study the scriptures and you choose not to date during this time. And you're doing things, you know, you're taking care of your family and you're working. And then, then when you're not doing those things, you are doing the things that the missionaries would do. And I sat there for a moment and I was just was like thinking about this concept. And I was like, actually, I really like it. I'm going to do it. And so I did. And then this was, yeah, this is such a tender mercy is that Heavenly Father called sister missionaries to my ward during this time. We'd always had elders And so then we had sister missionaries. So I got to, anytime I wasn't with my children, I got to go on splits with these sisters. I got to take them on rides. I mean, like anything and everything that they needed, I was able to help them with. And then I was getting up and having my own personal scripture study. And I was really studying the conference talks. I was attending the temple regularly. And I was just pouring myself into becoming a better disciple of Jesus Christ. And it really helped me to refocus. And I think it was a huge part in the process of my healing that helped that move forward that way. So it's kind of unusual, but it was really helpful for me. Yeah, no, I, I love that. That and, and the I guess the deeper principle I'm taking away is that gave you a framework or a model to approach life with, where I think there's these natural responses of like, okay, I sort of, I've had this, you know, the spouse for years and years. And maybe, you know, we all depend on our spouse for various needs that we have in life. Right. And I need to go find another spouse or this, or whether you're thinking that or your loved ones are thinking that, like, let's get you, that was a bad marriage. Let's get you in a good marriage and life is good and we can move forward. Right. But maybe create some space there and just say, I need to just breathe into this new experience that I'm in rather than racing to the next relationship. And having this mindset of being on a mission really gave you that and created that space. It did. Definitely. Yeah. That's awesome. I was going to ask, uh, you mentioned this concept of outside sources of, uh, and I forget exactly, but we, you know, we're, we're feeling different feelings and it hurts. And so we, we reach for outside sources and some people 
you know, maybe they get, want to get back in a relationship because that's a source that sort of numbs the pain of it all. And so maybe is there anything more to say to that in your personal experience of how you reached out to outside sources that maybe weren't as helpful, not that they were necessarily bad or sinful, but right. you were just sort of trying to survive with outside sources rather than Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. Binge watching, you know, Netflix is a great example of that. <laughs> <laughs> so, and that was one of the <laughs> things, you know, as I worked on this mission, I really went through, I call it uh, my editing period. I became a ruthless editor of my own life. So I started to look at the things in my life and ask the questions, you know, how is this bringing me closer to my Savior, Jesus Christ? Is this making me a better disciple of Jesus Christ? You know, how is this helping me be a better mother or wife or, well, not wife at that point, but a better mother, a better sister, you know, all those different relationships. And so I started examining all sorts of different things, you know, the music that I was listening to, the books that I was reading, the movies that I was watching, all of those different things. In when you go through a divorce, there's a tendency, it rocks your world in a way because you go through such a deep grieving period of the loss of something that you had planned on for not just the rest of your life, but for eternity. And so there's a sifting a little bit of, you know, what is most important. And for some people, you know, they are frustrated because they feel like I did all the right things. I you know, attended Young Women's, I went to seminary, I got married in the temple, you know, I stayed worthy so that I could enjoy all those blessings. And then I kept my covenants and I did my callings and I had children and all these things. So why didn't this work out this way? And so sometimes they're asking that question, why? And that I find is not the right question to ask. But in the asking of why, the adversary is very quick who want to come in and say, well, the, the church has failed you. They sold you the story of eternal happiness and bliss. Mm-hmm. And what you got was heartache. So the church must not be true. And it's a it's an insidious lie. And so for me, I had to really sort through that and uh, recognize, you know, what is my testimony based on? You know, am I obedient because I love the Lord or am I obedient because I want something from him? And I expect that if I do my covenants, then the Lord is going to give me these different things. And so it was a process for me to really come to understand better what my testimony was in and to reevaluate and edit and redefine and reframe that focus of being willing to accept that there are things that are out of my control and there are answers, some answers I'm never going to have in this life. But as I rely on the Savior Jesus Christ, that I can experience peace and I can experience joy and I can experience healing. And so those that helped me to focus and also to be willing to cut some of those other sources from my life that weren't helping me to grow my relationship with my savior. Oh, that's so helpful. And I'm just putting this back in the context of a a leadership experience, because oftentimes I remember being that bishop where this, you know, this marriage in your ward seems to be falling apart. You want to have some direction, some answers and the right questions to ask. And I love this concept, just saying like, where do you feel like you go? Like, what are some outside sources that good or bad? Like, where do you go to maybe numb out a little bit or just, right. de- de- you know, detach from the situation that you're in? And again, there's nothing wrong with a good Netflix series or, right, right, uh, totally. you know, running yeah. off to a movie and, and escaping for 
a few hours. But when it becomes sort of that you're reliant on that, like, I don't know how to sit home on a Wednesday night when my kids are with my spouse and, and flourish without escaping. Right. And so I love that just in context of these are some concepts and, and questions leaders can ask to really help them reorient themselves. And I love this concept of what is your testimony based on? Cause I've seen this in far too many situations where a marriage, a temple, happy marriage breaks apart and that marriage, the success of the marriage is almost too closely knitted to the gospel as far as like, this is my equation. The marriage works because the gospel works and now the marriage doesn't work. So maybe the gospel doesn't work. Right. And it all, all falls apart. Right. And this is a good time that, that, and really can be a blessing to say like, well, let's step back and make sure that your testimony, your faith and belief isn't too closely tied to other dynamics in your life. Is that a fair way to frame it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think so. And I think part of that process has to come, you know, having been in several leadership positions within the church, and then also being on the other end of needing to receive help from leaders. I think some of the most Mm -hmm. helpful things to me have been when my leaders have expressed confidence in me, that I would come to those answers, and they expressed confidence and also unconditional love. And I have several examples of, you know, with my bishop and my Relief Society president at that time that really helped me with those different things. So sometimes as leaders, we don't always have the answers. And I think that that's okay to be able to say. And, but I also think that it's helpful for someone when they're going through something hard is to express confidence in them. That was the greatest gift. I remember my um, Relief Society president she came to my house and she didn't call. She didn't, you know, let me know at all ahead of time. She just showed up and she said, Noel, the bishop has let me know that you're getting divorced. And I'm so sorry. I don't know any of the details. I never need to know the details, but I know you. And I know that this must be one of the hardest and most difficult things that you've ever had to go through. And I will tell you that was such a gift to me because number one, it gave me permission that I didn't have to explain to anyone. It was nobody's business, the details of why my marriage fell apart and a divorce happened. And so that was really liberating because sometimes in the gospel, because we work so hard to have a ward family, we feel like we have to sometimes explain, well, this is the reason why, you know, the justifications, but that's not helpful to anybody in going forward and healing. So the first thing is it gave me permission to not have to share those details. And then the second thing was her confidence and love of me in recognizing that this was a hard thing. And what she did then is she made it very safe for me going forward in Relief Society. She discreetly told people so that, and it was only people in leadership opportunities to help me. But so I never felt like I had to like have this moment within my ward of having explained, well, I'm divorced now, you know, I never had to have Mm -hmm. that experience. And so I was always very grateful for that sister. I felt like she was really inspired. And I went away from that ward. And there were people who did not even know that I had gone through a divorce until years later, through other, you know, connections that we made. And they were like, "I, I had no idea that you were going through that at that time. So that was a real gift to me. And a helpful thing that a leader did for me. Yeah. And I want to underscore that principle of just this, the power of just like being present or sitting with somebody, right? And as leaders, we want to be the leader that opens up the scriptures and has like the right verse to share that 
makes the day just better, right? But the power of just sitting with people and it's almost like, and this goes for all, you know, uh, traumatic experiences is that oftentimes it's not like we want the pain to go away, but we almost want someone to just witness it and acknowledge it and say, wow, Noel, that hurts. I imagine that hurts and that's all you need. You don't need the pain to go away, but you need someone to witness it with you. Right. And that is such a huge principle. I wish that I could shout that from every pulpit because that is what I think is needed more (laughs) than anything is that witnessing, right? And then this is the amazing thing that happens too. A lot of times, you know, when you start to ask questions of, you know, what that person is experiencing and going through, like I had some really good friends that would ask me, you know, just trying to understand my perspective. They were in happy marriages, right? And they were trying to do what they could to support and help me. So they would ask me questions and then they were amazed at the lessons that I was learning, right? It strengthened their testimony. So I think sometimes as leaders, we f- we feel like, oh, I've got to answer these questions and I've, I've got to help them. Or like you said, open up to the perfect verse in scripture, right? But I think yeah. it's so much more powerful is witnessing and then also asking what lessons and how their testimony is growing, what lessons they're learning, how their testimony is growing through this process, pointing them back to the Savior. Yeah, I love that. And, and sometimes there's these repeat appointments. Maybe you're meeting with the bishop or the recite president, and there's this pressure on that leader to think, oh, well, I'm meeting with Noel again. Like, I don't, I've shared those three scriptures before. What else do I say? But just to yeah. help, like, just be present in their journey, being like, so what, what did you learn this week? Like, where did God show up? Or maybe he didn't, like, how did you navigate your life this week? And then from there, a great discussion of fellowship can come out of that, right? Right. Absolutely. That's great. Tell me about this concept of telling other people. And and really, I guess the principle comes back to, you know, the bishop or the recite president as they become aware of, of what's happening. Obviously, you know, ask the person, you know, would you like me to tell other people? How can I help you to that? But there is this, you know, because we're a ward family, there is this pressure of being like, well, I don't want to embarrass anybody or right. should, or the natural thing is let's just pretend it's not happening. We'll keep it between us. And then there's these awkward, you know, events yeah. of like, you know, conversations or whatnot. So totally. walk us through that. Like, how what can we learn from your experience as far as how to get the information out in a, in a sensitive way? Right. Well, some of this happened behind the scenes in truth. So I still don't know how my Relief Society president handled that. I can say I've now been in other situations where I have been the person behind the scenes. So I think the number one thing that we can do as leaders and even as saints is to keep members' names safe. And I'll say that again, but it's really important is to keep members' names safe. And this means that we really try to not share or disclose things to other people, even if we have the best of intentions, which I think that most of the time as saints, we really do have the best of intentions, right? But it can be like, well, did you know that Susie Q, like, I don't know if she's announced this, but unfortunately she's going through a divorce. And then the question is like, oh, you know, wait a minute. Um, Is she keeping the house? Like what's happened with the kids? And, And like, none of these are bad questions, right? But all of this is happening third hand instead of being able to directly go to that person. And then as somebody who's been through a divorce, there were lots of it that was incredibly private to me. I did not want to share um, those details. And so I think part of that keeping members' names safe is allowing people to share the details that they want to and accepting what they want to share. 
and not asking more questions, right? And then resisting the urge. Like I just recently had a situation with a friend shared with me, unfortunately, that she is divorced and she shared it with me in private. And I waited. I did not share this information with anyone until she said to me, Noelle, this is now public. And I said, you know, have you shared this with our Relief Society president? And she says, I have. And that Relief Society president and I had half a dozen conversations and never once did that sister's name. Like I never once shared that until she had shared that and said, it's public now. So I think that that's part of keeping people's names safe is knowing that they can share private things with you and it's not going to go anywhere else. And that's a really important principle in the gospel. Yeah. So with that said, how did you navigate those moments, especially being in the same ward where your your ex-husband stayed in the same ward? I mean, was if nobody knows where their moments were like, okay, why is your husband sitting over there and you're sitting here? Like, what's going on? Like, I mean, did any of those types of dynamics come up and how did you navigate them? Yeah. So I had been serving previously um, in the stake young women's presidency. So I was frequently gone on Sundays doing ward conferences and speaking assignments and different things like that. So there was some of that, that there was a natural tendency for me to kind of be in and out of the ward during that season. And then I was released from that calling and then we were in the same ward. So it was definitely awkward. (laughs) And especially because almost immediately, as soon as our divorce was final, he had his, who is now his wife, start coming to church with him. So it was really the three of us. (laughs) And then you go from Mm -hmm. having your children sit with you in a pew as a family. And then on the weeks that you did not have your children, I was then sitting by myself in a pew, right? And then he is sitting with our children and his soon-to-be fiance. So there was a lot to navigate there. So let me share with you some things that were really helpful with that. The first is I had some amazing ministering sisters who made sure that I always had a place to sit with them. So I was never alone in church. They always made room for me in their pew. So that was really, really helpful. And then also, you know, my bishop was aware of the circumstance. He had even suggested to my former husband that maybe it would be easier to go to a different ward for a time being to just kind of let things die down. That wasn't what my former husband chose to do. So then my bishop, to make things safe for me, he had a couple of friends, good women in the ward that they walked with me to gospel doctrine or to Relief Society, and they were always sitting with me. So that was really helpful. And again, I didn't explain any details to any of these women. Like they never knew any of the details of, of, you know, Mm. my divorce, but they were willing to help and support me in that way. Um, So, and then eventually I got to a place where I was just like, this is hindering my healing. I don't feel like I can focus on receiving the sacrament. And so then I talked with my bishop about being able to go to my parents' ward. They were in the same stake but it was a different ward building. And thankfully, it was just 10 minutes away. So that bishop then arranged, he talked with that bishop, and they arranged for me to be a member of that congregation for the next six months. And that was amazing for me, because then I could go to church, and I didn't feel like all eyes were on me. And I felt like something that had been very public then was able to, I was able to refocus on receiving the sacrament and having that be a holy period of time for me to have communion with the Lord and to renew my covenants. 
And then it was great sitting with my parents, right? And then, you know, my kids also enjoyed that time of getting to have more time with grandma and grandpa as well. So I felt like there was a lot of things that my leaders were really aware of my needs and asked me what they could do to support me and to help me through that that process, which I'm really thankful for. Yeah, I love that. And, and you know, there's to be naive to think there's some secret formula that to do with every situation, right? But I just love that, that, you know, the bishop's looking to be flexible. They're looking for option C, D, and F, you know, and, yeah. okay, we, we tried option B, but... Right. You know, the husband doesn't want to go to a different ward. So let, what's another option, right? And you're just, right. and then uh, just the the fellowship you get there where no explanation needed. I'm just here to sit by you and, yep. and let's do this, you know, and, and then right. taking some time to go to another ward. And, and, and sometimes we feel like, well, if we go, we've transferred another ward, that's like a permanent thing, but it's like, no, we're just going to do it for six months and then you'll yep. come back and we'll, yeah. or we'll try something else. Right. Just right. all that flexibility. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, and I felt very cool. supported. Well, let's talk about, I know you've sent me a, a list of some general principles and hopefully we're getting around them, but uh, make sure we're not missing anything. Talk to me about this concept of like personal spiritual revelation and sometimes when that revelation seems a bit silent and there is this dynamic of, you know, I remember one instance as a bishop where this sister came in and, you know, and I've been meeting with her and her husband and was aware of this situation and she shared that they were going to divorce and it was sort of her decision. And inside I'm thinking, no, like this is not the best option, but I was mature enough to say, you know, this isn't my call. I got to respect the the inspiration that they're receiving and, and whatnot. And this is the direction it's going. Right. So just where do we begin with that whole dynamic of receiving revelation and having the, you know, leaders involved and whatnot. Right. So I think the first thing as a leader is to recognize that whenever anyone, whether that is a man or a woman comes to you and says, I'm getting a divorce, I've decided to file for a divorce, that there has been so much thought, so many prayers, so many trying to somehow keep that family together, that like divorce is the last of the last of the last option. And so when you are, as a leader are finally receiving that information. Sometimes you're the first person to receive that information, right? And it's, is heartbreaking. And like you said, you know, you're like, oh, there has to be another answer. There has to be another solution. But to acknowledge, I think as a leader to acknowledge that, man, this has to be a really hard decision. And I think if it is appropriate, you know, you you could ask, you know, can you help share with me, help me walk me through your process? Because I know that this has not been an easy decision mm-hmm. for you to make, right? And then that makes that person feel safe and like, oh, I can share the personal revelation that I've received. You know, I in my book, I share my process, um, which was a very, very, very long process. And at one point, I had even made the decision, I'm going to stay married, even though I had had promptings that that I needed to get divorced. I was like, nope, I'm going to stay married. And it was amazing to me the difference like in the I had felt like I was just receiving this constant stream of revelation as I had been working through things and then when I made that decision, you know, to stay, I felt like that revelation stopped. And that was so hard for me and I had to humble myself and I had to get on my knees and then ask and really pray and then I had to sit and listen. And that's the part of the personal revelation a lot of times we ask for things and then we we're waiting we're waiting for those answers and sometimes answers take time michael s wilcox talks about this principle in his 
talk, the fourth watch, he talks about how that sometimes we have things that have to happen in our life to carve out space for us to be able to receive the answer for something. And I love this principle. And so, uh, especially when it applies to personal revelation. So if you're talking about leaders, is, is that recognizing that personal revelation is a process and that silence and time for them to receive answers is also really, really important. I get to work in the Seattle temple as an ordinance worker every single week. And I absolutely love it. And our current president right now, he is just so much about silence is a gateway to revelation. (laughs) And so he's always encouraging us temple workers to be quiet and allow the patrons to have that experience of silence. That's when the spirit has the opportunity to speak to us. And especially in our hustle and bustle world, it's really difficult to find that quiet space so that we can receive that personal revelation. So then as we go back to, as far as from a leadership perspective is acknowledging and recognizing people's ability to receive personal revelation and then giving them that time and that space and then supporting them in that. And I have a personal experience with this, with my bishop. When I finally did come to him and say, I'm getting a divorce he listened to me, he heard me out. And then he said, you know, during this interview, I've had the prompting to share with you that I think you should wait. And I don't quite understand all that that means, but I am just sharing that with you. And it was really hard for me to hear that. <laughs> like That was really difficult because it felt like it was incredibly mm-hmm. contrary to all the personal revelation that I had been receiving and the long, long process that I had gone to to get to that point, and then to be able to even share with my bishop what I was experiencing, right, and going through. And my bishop shared that, and then he was quiet in that interview, and he didn't say anything else. And this is the part that I was so grateful for, is that it gave me time to think about what he had just shared. And then I actually said a prayer in my heart, and I was like, Heavenly Father, this feels so contrary to what I have received revelation to move forward with. But I also believe that a bishop is called of God. So how do these two things reconcile, right? And in that space of that silence and that quiet, then the spirit was able to speak to me and tell me, Noel, you can follow what he's asking you to do. And so I said, Bishop, I think that this advice is contrary to personal revelation that I've received, but I'm willing to be obedient and I will wait before I move forward with anything else. And so I did. I waited another additional almost four months before I move forward with anything with my divorce. And it was really interesting because in that four month period of time, there were many more things that happened that made it incredibly clear to not only me, but to my bishop as well, that I was moving forward with the right thing. But see, that time had to happen, you know, that before that revelation Mm -hmm. be received fully. So I think that as leaders, we have to leave space and room for, you know, answers to come. We have to be patient for that. And then we also have to allow for that silence of so that, you know, the people that are coming and asking for that help and that support can receive that. And then also we have to trust that they're receiving personal revelation for their own lives. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, that's so helpful to get that perspective. And, and I would imagine, and this may be a little tangential, but a lot of these interactions, especially in a leadership experience in and how you're how a leader you know what's the leader's role and how are they helping a lot of times the best way they can help is just to really slow down the process because a lot of these traumatic experiences can feel like well i've got a lot of big decisions to make like am i moving or what are we doing with the house and you know 
I need to find an attorney or whatever it is. And there's this feeling of like, I've got to know by tomorrow these type of questions. And sometimes an outside leader or individual can sort of bring the perspective, well, let's just slow it down a little bit. And in this instance, it sounds like almost the spirit through this, these dynamics of you talking with the bishop found a way to just slow you down a little bit so that you could process and it, it still ended up in, you know, maybe the same decision you would have made, but you're able to process and maybe feel more comfortable with the direction you were headed. Is that safe to say? Absolutely. Yeah. That's great. Cool. Awesome. I, a little caveat that I want to ask you about that came to mind. I remember this one instance I had as a bishop with a, a man in my ward who was, he was, I, I was a bishop and we had uh, an area with three apartment complexes. So we got a lot of these uh, like divorcees that or just left a marriage and they just need an apartment and they landed in my ward. And so, you know, I'd have a lot of conversations around the the separation and the legal <clears throat> aspects of it. And with this gentleman, he felt like, and I would probably agree with him, a lot of his actions contributed to the marriage ending. Like if yeah. he would have made a lot of different choices, the marriage probably could have continued and he didn't make those choices. And this is where he was at. Right. right. And so he felt this, a lot of guilt and, uh, and shame about what he'd done and, how it impacted his marriage. And then it led to decisions of, well, you know what? Maybe I just feel so bad. I should just give her the whole house and whatever terms she wants, you know? And I sort of paused him and said, Hey, listen, like I get why you're saying that. And you want to have like this very repentant heart, but you should really talk to some legal counsel and an an attorney to make sure that you don't make decisions that you're going to regret later. Because maybe you shouldn't just give her the house. Maybe there's some, there's a different pathway and whatnot or things you're not considering that legal counsel could could help you with. So maybe is there anything that comes to mind as far as it can seem like in that relationship with a bishop or a, le- a leader, like you want to stay on spiritual topics or charity yeah. and let's just find love and fill the spirit. But there's a whole legal dynamic happening here yeah. that sometimes doesn't get brought into those. What comes to mind as I say all that? I think that's a hard situation. <laughs> that's the first thing that comes to mind. But I, I would, and I think you have to be really, really careful as a leader. And this is where asking questions, right? Sometimes we're eager to rush forward with solutions or help. And I think sometimes it's important to ask questions. So I think that you did a great job of, you know, asking some questions. You understood where his heart was at in this situation. He had a very repentant heart. So he was trying to do anything and everything he could to make that situation easier. So I think in that situation, it makes sense to, you know, well, I encourage you, I applaud that you have this repentant heart and this part we're going to continue to work through as your bishop. I'm going to continue to help you work through that process. But from a legal standpoint, I encourage you to talk to legal counsel. Like I think separating those out is really helpful in that, that aspect. And I think it's important. You also have the other end of the spectrum, right? Like, Uh, where, you know, I had a situation of a very good friend of mine that shared with me that, you know, she'd made the decision that she was going to get divorced and and how hard that was and told her her counselor and, and her husband and her had been working on counseling together. And the husband was like, if she tries and, and divorces me, I'm going to take everything from her, right? I'm going to, you know, decimate her. (laughs) And and then you have a counselor that has this information, right? Like of these two people that he's trying to counsel together. Yeah. Sometimes that even happens with bishops or others, you know, really society presence or somebody that might also be in those situations. And again, I, I mean, that's, it's very difficult. It's a difficult situation. And 
which is why I say ask questions and refer back to counselors and to legal counsel. And, and none of those things are things that you as a leader have to solve. You know, your job is to be an ecclesiastical leader where you're offering support and focusing on gospel principles. So when we start to delve into those things that move into other areas, counseling or legal representation, it's good to refer those things out. They shouldn't all fall on leaders. Yeah. And that's a, it brings up another interesting concept. And, and I realize, Noel, I'm asking you impossible questions a lot of the time, and that's sort of my job. But uh, okay. <laughs> any perspective and experience you have is great. I don't expect to have all, all the answers. And each situation is so different, right? But there's this, the concept of, of forgiveness. You know, sometimes, you know, oh, well, there in Dr. Covenant 64, pretty clear, you know, Noel, you got to forgive that husband of that ex-husband of yours. Right. And, right. and, you know, th- there's sometimes these dynamics that are that are really sticky and awkward when yeah. there's this push of like, well, you as a saint need to get to some level of forgiveness here, right? Or, you know, you men- mentioned this uh, dynamic of like, maybe one individual wants to decimate the other one legally and leave them penniless. And now how are you going to raise our kids, you know? And obviously that's probably not helpful and extreme, but, and so then it's sort of like, well, no, you need to forgive what's happened. And so any, any thoughts coming to mind around this, the doctrine of forgiveness in these really tough situations? Yeah, this is something I actually spend two chapters talking about in my book because it is so important and it gets really confusing because we hear things in our modern day culture of like forgive and forget and turn the other cheek and oftentimes, you know, scriptures in DNC are quoted where, you know, if you don't forgive, the greater sin lies with you than with the person that, you know, so, so you almost have forgiveness being used as a weapon. And then that can be really difficult, especially in situations of abuse. And that means, you know, emotional abuse, physical abuse, financial abuse, sexual abuse, whatever, you know, one of those, it can be really difficult. So for me, the first thing that I had to do was I really had to pray to have a willing heart. In the beginning, I was just struggling so much. And there were was a lot of things that had come to light that were things that I hadn't known were happening. And that was really hard for me. So it was, you know, the process of discovering new information. And then how does this fit into the ideas that I thought of? And then how can I possibly forgive this person? And then, you know, unfortunately, sometimes you don't have like a smooth divorce. Like a lot of times you have, there's more friction, right? And there's um, difficulty with divorced households. And so then you have these extra layers of, you know, how do I possibly forgive? There's a lot of different dynamics. So for me, I had to go through the process of first having a willing heart. And this uh, happened for me in, in prayer and actually praying to have a willing heart. That's where I started. And then as I worked through that process, there were different things that happened. And I discussed those things a little bit more in detail, just where the Lord was working on my heart and helping me to be able to process and work through the different emotions. And then I kind of went through a period of time where I really needed to understand, you know, are these things that I keep hearing turn the other cheek or forgive and forget? Are those things that are found in the scriptures? Is that what the Lord is asking me to do? And so I really started to dive deep into the scriptures to try and understand the principles of forgiveness and what exactly my Heavenly Father and my Savior were asking me to do. And so I found a lot of different scriptures, which were really, really helpful. The other half of forgiveness is boundaries. We don't talk about this enough in the church, in my opinion. And so uh, true. So true. Yeah. Yeah. 
So especially when you are dealing with situations of abuse, there has to be boundaries. And sometimes there's things that you need to remember so that those boundaries keep you safe, right? But then also, I as I've gone through this process, I've learned that boundaries, when you set healthy boundaries, then they allow you to be safe enough to be able to work through the process of forgiveness. So to me, boundaries and forgiveness go hand in hand. And I think that we, in as members of the church, we want to skip to the good part, right? Like you just need to forgive them. Like just move on, be happy, forgive. It, you'll feel so much better. And all of that is true. But I think that just like we talked about earlier, where Job's friends sat with him for seven days, right? They sat with him and they allowed him to feel all the sorrow and the grief that he was feeling. And I know later on, they started having a conversation, but like during that period of time, they allowed him to feel what he was feeling. And I think that we do a disservice if we skip ahead to the, you'll feel so much better by forgiving. We know that, you know, we've been taught that. And so, (laughs) yeah, that there, you have to allow people to be angry, allow them to work through those emotions and recognize that sometimes that anger is actually part of their healing process and is helping them to recognize where they need to have healthier boundaries so that they can have room and space to be able to forgive. So that's a short summary, but I do spend two chapters talking about it because it's something I feel really, really strongly about. So, yeah. And then that sounds like a topic worth two chapters or more that, and because we often talk about forgiveness, but it has to be paired up with this concept of boundaries and safety and whatnot. And yeah, if if people don't, and I feel like we could do more through leading saints to articulate this concept of boundaries because it is so powerful once you understand it. And sometimes we get lost in the gospel of like love and charity towards all. And, you know, we lose that concept of boundaries that needs to be there in order for the rest to work, you know, so really helpful. Talk to me about just your journey with professional counseling and the in the bishop's role and the your therapist role. And was there any type of therapy that worked? I mean, you just go to some talk therapy once a week or so, and that seemed to help you unpack your emotions and and move forward or or just tell me, just lay the foundation of that dynamic in general. Sure. Well, I grew up in a time that like uh, counseling was not as widely talked about. And, you know, if you went to counseling, there was something really wrong with you. You were seriously broken. (laughs) And so to be able to start the process of going to counseling, I actually, uh, for me, there was a lot of different layers to it. I knew that there were many things that I needed to work on personally in my own life. I had gone through a 12-step program just related to eating. I talk about this in my book as well. And that program really helped me to start addressing and looking at, you know, taking responsibility for my part and then being able to work through my emotions in healthy ways. And so through that program, then I came out of that knowing, okay, I really need more help. Like I have the gospel and the gospel is this wonderful foundation for me. And then this, the 12 step program has been another layer, but I actually need more help kind of working through some of these things, coping mechanisms that I've learned, you know, at a young age, and then have continued to carry through through adulthood. And so that was really the beginning of me going to counseling. And then as I went to counseling, I started to notice that there were things within my marriage that I had kind of ignored before because I wasn't ready to address them. But as I worked on myself, and then 
with counseling, I really wanted to work through these things with my marriage. So then I invited my uh, husband at the time to join me for counseling. And, and so then we started doing counseling together. And that lasted for on, unfortunately only a short time, but I continued to go and felt like it was really helpful to me. It was more than just talking about things. For me, it was actively having things to work on. I had a counselor that really understood my personality well, that I needed active things to work on. So as I went through this process of counseling with him, he encouraged me. I was really struggling with my self-esteem and self-worth. So he encouraged me to do my young women's medallion again. And I had been serving in the stake young women's. And so that was the program at the time. And so I actually started doing that program again, and that was fantastic for me. And it really helped me remind me of my divine worth and who I was as a daughter of God. And that continued to help me. And so I received my medallion. And then, you know, I was an, I am an avid journal writer. And so my counselor recognized this. So he would often challenge me with things, you know, like to write about in my journal and So he worked within things that were already strengths for me and things that were comfortable for me and with my personality. And I continued to go to counseling up until I moved from that area. And then I had a short break for a while and I actually went back to counseling because I find it's really helpful to be able to have someone else to talk through what you're thinking, but then also to receive action, to be able to move forward, to continue to be, you know, with healing and have it be something that is a positive momentum in your life. So my career, I guess, <laughs> of having counseling has been like a decade, but it's it's made a huge difference for me in my own life. So to me, it's more than just talking about things. I think that good counseling encourages you to stretch and to grow, do things that are uncomfortable and challenging to become better and to be able to you know, take responsibility for the things that you can in your life and be able to change those to become a greater disciple of Christ. Yeah. And did those two worlds, as far as your, the work you were doing through your therapist and then the conversations you had with your bishop or at least study president, did those ever mix or like, did your bishop inquire, you know, how's your therapy going? What, what are they telling yeah. you to do? Is that helping? I mean, it was, did that ever happen? Yeah, actually I had, my first counselor was through LDS social services. And so Actually, my counselor asked me in the beginning, are you comfortable with me sharing things that I think will be helpful with your bishop? Because he knew that I was meeting with my bishop as well. And I said, yes, I was very comfortable with that. So I know that there were at times things that, you know, my counselor shared with my bishop about my progress, which I think were helpful for him because my bishop was meeting with both my husband and I at that time. And sometimes that happens simultaneously. Sometimes that happened separately. And I think this is a really helpful thing as leaders, because sometimes we only get to hear one part of the story, or there's holes in a story, and then we're trying to fill in and counsel and advise with only having part of the story. So in my situation, I had a counselor that was communicating with my bishop, and then my bishop and my Relief Society president were having you know, their PPI. And so then they were also communicating those things. So that worked very well for me. But I have seen where it doesn't work as well, you know, for other leaders that maybe don't have that full transparency. So that can be a difficult and tricky thing to navigate, especially when you're not sure how much of what you're hearing is true. 
or what is, you know, the actionable steps that you need to take as a leader. So I think that that is where we as leaders really have to pray for that gift of discernment and do a lot of hard listening to the spirit and also, you know, to the people that we are trying to help. Yeah, I I really appreciate that. And, you know, going, it goes back to what we talked about earlier, just that flexibility, you know, if it, if it helps for your bishop or at least today president to inquire about your therapy or for you to talk about, you know, do it. If not, you know, again, the boundaries thing, maybe you can say, you know, Bishop, I, therapy's going great. We're handling things there with you. I just love to talk about my spiritual journey or I need some help with, you know, bills or whatnot. Let's just talk about that. Or, you know, yeah. and, and it's okay to keep those worlds se- separate as well, but sometimes it's helpful to to combine them, right? Yes. And I think that as saints, we need to not be afraid to ask for, for what we need. I think that leaders and those that love us, they, they are eager and so willing to help. And I think that when we can articulate what we really need, and sometimes it's hard, sometimes it's hard to do in the middle of it, but that's that pausing, right? And taking some time for things. So if we are willing to pause and take some time and really think about what is it that I need from my bishop? What is it I need from my Relief Society present? What is it I need from my ministering sisters or brothers? And then to not be afraid to ask for that. Yeah, really that question of what do you need, both whether you're asking others or asking yourself can be super powerful, you know, that can then lead to actually I need you to just not call me every day or actually yeah. I do need you to call me every day or, you know, whatever it is. Right. Yeah. Um, yes. And then you can go from there. So the last principle you had here is uh, use single brothers and sisters in service. And this is sort of a general message we hear over and over again. How did that manifest itself or help you or not help you in your, your own journey? Yeah, this was really great. I immediately was put into a calling where I got to teach and I love teaching. Um, That's something I I feel very passionately about. It's probably my favorite calling besides nursery because nursery is the best calling at all. So, yeah. (laughs) So I I did get to teach right away. And this helped me because I got to interact with the sisters and share some of the hope and the healing that I was experiencing. And I think sometimes we are afraid to share some of the hard things that we go through, but that vulnerability, when we're able to be vulnerable, that's when you start to feel unified as a ward. And so putting me in a position where I was able to teach and share some of those. And again, I focused on the hope and the healing that I was experiencing. And then that opened the door for other sisters to feel like they didn't have to be perfect either. Here was, you know, Noelle teaching and she's newly divorced and she's working through the process, right? And I think that sometimes as leaders, we are like, oh, they've got so much on their plate. We don't want to ask anything more of them. And I think, again, it's that going back and asking those questions, you know, would you like to hold a calling right now? We could definitely use you. What would be your ideal calling right now? And asking some of those things. I think callings are definitely inspired, but sometimes callings are also practical. And so having a mix of those and not being afraid to ask, because I did need like a good six month break. I didn't hold a calling for six months, which was the longest I'd ever not held a calling in my life. And so it was actually really nice to have a break and to be able just to focus on going to church and getting to be in the congregation And then there came a point where I was like, I am ready to hold a calling. I want to. So then I went to my bishop and I said, I'm ready to hold a calling. And he was like, great. 
And, you know, that Relief Society president said, wonderful, we're going to put her right in. So I think that we need to ask questions, find out where they're at. If they want to serve, let them serve. If they don't want to serve right now, then don't have them serve right now. And again, it goes back to the flexibility, right? And being Mm -hmm. willing to help them, support them in the way that they need to be supported in a calling. Yeah. And I love that in the context of a calling that, you know, that's, you know, we talk about these outside sources or distractions that, that, that some things can be, but a calling could be such a blessing of, of, and, and something that a leader could really do or, or arrange and orchestrate that to say, Hey, you know what, Noel, what do you really enjoy doing in the ward? You want to teach? Like, let's have you teach for, for a while. And, then at least you look forward to church on Sunday, right? Yeah. And, and maybe there's others who are like, oh, I, I just cannot handle that pressure of teaching right now. I need great, you know. Well, what where can we use you so that this church experience is a blessing to you rather than and there's there's this natural you know knee jerk reaction of like, okay, Noel's going through a lot. Let's not burden her with any other responsibility. When in reality, some of some individuals really need that. You know, they need that purpose. They need to escape from the drama of their their divorce and just say, you know, I get to teach the kids on Sunday and I'm really looking forward to that. And I need that. Right. Yes, absolutely. I also think later on, I, after several years, I was actually called to serve in young women's. And I remember telling the counselor of the bishopric who extended the calling to me, I'm like, you do know that my life is not the ideal. (laughs) And he said, yeah, I do. (laughs) And I said, well, I worry. I have these sweet, you know, 13, 14 year old girls I just don't know if that would be helpful to them. And and he said, actually, it's your life experiences that will be most helpful for them. They need to see a woman who uh, has gone through really hard things and depends on the Lord. And that meant it actually makes me really emotional even now. But that meant so much to me that they, as um, leaders, that they recognized how this trial had honed me and helped me, strengthen me to become a better disciple of Christ. And then they also felt like I had something of worth then to share with others, even though my life didn't look like the ideal or what we, you know, hope for each of our children, but showed the gospel actively working in my life, even through the messy parts, which I think is a really powerful testimony to our youth. Yeah, no, I love that. Even, you know, not shying away from these you know, quote unquote, influential callings, especially with youth. And, and I think, you know, I hear this happening still, and I hope we're, we're moving past it as a religious community, but just saying like, what a great opportunity to put someone like Noelle in this place of influence where, you know, she's gone through some messy experiences, but her faith resides and continues. And she found peace through that faith. And that's exactly the, the core of the lesson we want these young women to learn. And so, Let's go for it, you know? Yeah. Really yeah. All right, Noel, what else? Um, I've got a few more questions for you, but any other general principle or concept that we didn't touch on that you want to make sure we hit before we wrap up or no, I do think it? That's great. Yeah. Cool. So how would you suggest like from a leadership standpoint, how would it be a good use of leaders to, to utilize this book? I mean, maybe a sister who's going through divorce, you know, give it to her for, for time or how would you suggest? Yeah. So I think there's a couple of different ways. And my book is widely available. You can request it at Barnes and Noble. It's on Amazon. It's at the church bookstores, all those different places. So it is easily accessible. But as far as leaders, I think reading it, the thing that it's an interesting thing, um, 
I've had a, a mix of emotions, you know, from people who are going through divorce. They are like, this is the book that I was looking for. Thank you so much. And then I have other people who have read it because they love me and they're happy in their marriages, right? And they always kind of are like, you know, they have it on their nightstand and they have to have like a sticky note on it and like, don't worry, I'm just reading this for Noel, <laughs> you know, something, you know, like they don't, like <laughs> I, I had a girlfriend who was like, I didn't want my housekeeper to think that my husband and I were having a difficult time. And I, you know, so there, there's kind of that caveat of like, <laughs> I don't know if I really want to read this. And and the other thing is people, you know, get nervous about like, well, are there, are there nitty gritty details, you know, cause, cause that's not helpful or healing. And so a couple things to know about my book is, is that I really focus on the hope and the healing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I share my story, my process of going through this. And because I feel like sometimes when you get into the nitty gritty details of things, like then you lose the healing power. And so for me, I am very careful. And also I have children that I never wanted them to pick up my book and, and feel like, oh, there's something, you know, bad or unhappy or, or sad about their, their father in there. That's important to me. So um, the first thing is, is the book is very uplifting. And I found that a lot of my friends who had not experienced divorced, being divorced, that when they read it, they were just amazed. And they're like, I didn't know that that's how you felt. I didn't even think I had one of my friends who said, I didn't even think about the fact that you had to sit by yourself at church. That must've been terrible, right? She's like, I, I never thought, and we had, you know, we had three or four sisters in our ward at the time that were divorced. And she was like, they're sitting by themselves. And so she started looking for those sisters to invite them to sit with her so that they were not by themselves. So I think that there's a great awareness that comes from reading this book of seeing maybe some needs that you may, if you haven't experienced that trial, you wouldn't know to look for. And so I've heard really good feedback from that. And then also the other feedback that I've heard is, is that it's got great examples of how to work through trials, whether it's divorce or not, just good life examples. So as a leader, I think read it so that you can understand what it is that you're recommending. And then, yeah, don't be afraid to recommend if it's helpful to them. You know, and sometimes, again, it's that asking questions. So what would be helpful to you? Are, would resources be helpful to you? You know, having some books or some different podcasts or, you know, even there's some LDS uh, divorce groups on Facebook and different things like that. There's lots and lots of different resources for people to be able to go to when they're going through something like that. So sometimes it's like, do you need resources? And asking that kind of question first. So, but I would really encourage whether you've been through a divorce or not, it's a great book to read to understand how to work through a difficult trial and learn to grow your roots deeper and to become a better disciple of Jesus Christ. Love it. That's really helpful. Well, the last question I have for you, Noel, is as you, you reflect back on just this journey of writing the book and obviously going through a, a divorce and uh, now, you know, that the happy report that you did remarry. You're not still on that mission, which <laughs> you did marry. <laughs> so the last question I have, I guess, is as you reflect on all that and going through this journey of writing a book, how has this made you become a better disciple of Jesus Christ? That's a great question. I will say, I will just tell anybody, I'm going to tell you the ending of my book. It does not end with me getting remarried. I ended my book actually while I was single. <laughs> Because I felt like that was really important. The goal was not to get remarried. That was a wonderful gift. And I actually plan on writing a second book about the experience of blending a family and, and going oh, through cool. that. But that's in the works. It's a few years out. But 
Anyway, so I think it's important to know the book doesn't end with a happily ever after, quote unquote. It ends with me happy and content in the gospel of Jesus Christ as a single woman. But you asked, how did this process make me become a better disciple of Christ? And the first thing that I would share with that is that my divorce made me dismantle ideas in my head of what I thought it meant to be a covenant-keeping woman of God. And I had to look at each of those things and really address, you know, what was my testimony in? And as I was living the gospel to the best of my ability, who was I becoming in the process? And so as I asked myself those questions, then I was able to make choices in my life that helped me to start to focus on how I can become a better disciple of Christ. My divorce taught me to be more empathetic and compassionate, to have more grace and unconditional love. It's been very humbling experience for me. And this is not the way that I wish I could have learned these lessons, but I am grateful to my Heavenly Father and my Savior, Jesus Christ, who have the divine ability to be able to take the hardest and most difficult things in our lives and to make them work for our good. And that's one of the things that our covenants do for us. And this is one thing we really haven't talked about that I do talk about a lot in my book is covenants and the power of our covenants and how they enable us and bless us in amazing ways. So through my divorce, I came to appreciate my covenants more and how they were between me and my savior. And they were less about my marriage and they were that personal relationship and how I was showing up as a disciple of Christ. So my divorce has taught me many, many lessons and has helped me to become a better disciple of Christ and to know with a surety that there's nothing that can be so broken that can't be healed through the atonement of Jesus Christ. That concludes this episode of the Leading Saints podcast. We'd love to hear from you about your questions or thoughts or comments. You can either leave a comment on the uh, post related to this episode at leadingsaints.org or go to leadingsaints.org slash contact and send us your perspective or questions. If there's other episodes or topics you'd like to hear on the Leading Saints podcast, go to leadingsaints.org slash contact and share with us the information there. And we would love for you to share this with any individual you think this would apply to, especially maybe individuals in your ward council or other leaders that you may know who would really appreciate the perspectives that we discussed. And remember, to review the Mentally Healthy Saints Library, click the link in the show notes or go to leadingsaints.org slash 14. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness, the loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.